This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the good folks that love to stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. We'll be your guides today through the vast and wonderful food landscape of the American South. Sorry. Chef Scott Peacock's passion for cooking began at an early age in Alabama when he grew up learning from his grandmother's kitchen, just like myself. With over 30 years of experience in the industry... Chef Peacock has become known in the culinary world for his creative use of local ingredients and his dedication to preserving the traditions and traditional Southern flavors. His biscuit experience in Marion, Alabama is the latest representation of preserving this tradition, and we will dive into this unforgettable culinary adventure that we had. It's full of history, culture, and biscuit. Good morning. Welcome to Deep South Dining. Where we have our mojo working, and it's going to work all over you, Carol. It is. It's Monday. Mojo Monday. Good morning, uh, Java. How are you, sir? Oh, man, I'm feeling good. I'm glad I heard this song uh, on uh, Highway 61 with Scott Barretta on Sunday. Great show. Another great show on MPB Think Radio. And when you heard it, you thought of us. I did. I said, it's a perfect song for Monday, and I like that, Mojo Monday. (laughs) Yeah. We celebrate Mojo Monday, not Meatless Monday, as other food people do. Yeah, baby. Works for me. Yep. Well, Carol, let's see. What's going on? I haven't seen you in a whole week. Oh, thanks so much. Your uh, birthday was just everywhere. I had a fun birthday. I saw a piece, a very large flounder on a plate. Mm. A photograph of that from the Mayflower. Yes, you did. So, what did I eat on my birthday? Funny you should ask. Yes, tell us. Well, it began on Thursday lunch with my wife, Kara. We went to Elvie's, where I had the fried oyster chopped salad, which was remarkable. Have you ever uh-huh. had, had the Elvie's no, fried oyster? No, I have oyster? not. As Rick Cleveland says, they can fry some oysters. Yeah, and they can. So we, that's how it all began. Uh, on Friday, uh, I had lunch with our great friend Peyton Prosper at the Mayflower, where I traditionally have lunch on my birthday. We had it the day before. We had it uh, on the Thursday. And I had I had the snapper with turnip greens and field peas, but the legendary flounder skeleton was what Mr. Prosper did. Well, Mr. Prosper does know how to clean a fish skeleton and, yes. pl- and other plates. He tore He's it up. one of our favorite diners around town. He's very enthusiastic. Now, on the day itself, on Friday, on my birthday, um, I had lunch at Hallamau's. I had, of course, fried catfish, hush puppies, coleslaw, and french fries with my buddies Phil Abernathy and Tom O. Massey, both Boone Boonville boys. And we talked about mostly the upcoming state basketball games that were played on Saturday at the Big House, both of which, the girls and the boys' state championships, were won by the Mighty Blue Devils from Boonville. Golly, Malcolm, that is that is just amazing. I mean, all roads lead to Boonville. Back to back. We did the same thing last year. And let me tell our listeners and you guys this. The same guy coaches both girls and boys in Boonville. And he has now won state championships back-to-back with both the boys and the girls program. Now, congratulations. That sounds like a a true Mississippi tale, coaching the boys and the girls' basketball team. Yeah, (laughs) this is old school, but but that's how we roll in Boonville. I can't wait to tell my husband, John, who is from Corinth, or as y'all say, Corinth. Corinth. Corinth, yes. because he has those same tales of he does. Corinth, Cossuth, Boonville. I mean, New North, site. In fact, our North coach, Coach East Smith. Mississippi is where it's happening. Of course. Coach Smith played at New Site, which is a legendary basketball program. But anyway, so uh, I actually went to the game on Saturday. Uh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. That was another part of the birthday weekend. I went to the game. 
with Tom O'Massey and um, and with Phil Abernathy. We had a big time. We won big, and that was certainly helpful. But back to what I ate. Uh, <laughs> on my birthday, which was Friday, uh, we had uh, my daughter and son-in-law and the two grandkids come over. And on our front porch, we had fabulous pizzas from Polito's, which were outstanding. Also, a strawberry uh, cake from Campbell's adorned with some <clears throat> great <clears throat> icing and a bunch of uh, candles. And then Saturday, after the basketball game, I came home, and Kara had made one of her legendary pound cakes. Oh, did she know it was National Pound Cake? She does now. That, yes, she does, because I believe I called that to your attention you this did, week. You did. She made a raspberry uh, pound cake with a creamed icing on top, and it was outstanding. The grandkids came over last night, and we put a major dent in it. So it was a good birthday. Well, happy birthday to you, Malcolm. But I see if you look through the window into the booth, you're going to see Java's lip poked out. He's a little Because it was his birthday on Thursday. No, no, no. Upcoming. Yeah, my birthday is upcoming on Thursday. Okay. Well, you have signs all over your office. So we do have a a chance to... to shower you with food. And I, and I did kind of celebrate my birthday a little bit. Um, Crystal uh, is out of town, and she's going to be out of town on my birthday. So over the weekend, we went to, um, I don't know if you guys know about Beachwood in Vicksburg. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we went to Beachwood uh, Restaurant. I had a nice filet and some mac and cheese. And um, we had a good, you know, it was it was great. It was a yeah. good time. Wish Ma- you'd stopped off at Exit 19 and Edwards on your way. Oh, Next time. <laughs> Time. Next but time. I am so glad we didn't miss your birthday because when I saw those cards taped on your door, I went, oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, the people we here it. are amazing. I, I, it's a surprise when you get gifts not on your birthday. <laughs> so speaking of birthdays, today, <clears throat> this day right now is a great friend of ours, our North Mississippi correspondent's birthday. It's Chico Harris's birthday, and I've asked Chico to call in and give us a full report. We have not heard from you for a while, sir. We're thinking about holding back your pay. (laughs) What's going on, Chico? Well, now, I, I, I I really appreciate the happy birthday that Java gave me on the telephone, and, uh, and I hate to, 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 um, Correct you, but my birthday's tomorrow. <laughs> oh well, right. Which means I'll we're be close. Eating. We're happy early birthday. I'll, I'll be, yeah, that means I'll be dining at Johnny's Drive-In at least twice tomorrow. Of course you will. <laughs> Since Shockley's is now closed at Chupalo R.I.P. Yeah, I hate um, that. I am. Yeah, I am calling from Western Pontotoc County, and. Um, I have pulled over to the side of the road before Felder calls in and admonishes me, and I'm in the parking lot at Royal Grocery on uh-huh. Highway 6, um, on the corner of Highway 6 and the TPO Road. Thank you and, for uh, giving us your GPS location. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, this place this place is real near Saxon, Mississippi, and, um, you know, Saxon, is where near where great Mississippian Delaney Bramlett was born oh, and raised. Mm-hmm. Bonnie and Delaney. Delaney and Bonnie. Oh, yeah. right. And friends. I'm one of the, yep, exactly. I'm one of the Mississippians who believes he should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll throw in with that. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so anyway, this, this place, this raw grocery, I thought that was kind of a unique name for a little grocery store in Mississippi, and I've always thought about stopping in, but I never needed to because I get gasoline at my regular place, you know. And uh, But one day last week, I needed just enough gasoline to get to where I get my gasoline, so I stopped in Royal <laughs> Grocery, and I saw their corn dogs, and I thought, oh. now, if they've got corn dogs, they've got mustard, and it's that little institutional mustard that comes in a little pack that really isn't yeah. very good. No, it's terrible. It I had it at the basketball game on Saturday. Yeah, exactly. It brings back memories of going to the fair in Tupelo and getting that cheap mustard on a hot dog or, or going to Yankee Stadium or outside Yankee Stadium, the hot dog vendors, their bottles of French's mustard uh, have Yankees pinstripes on them. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So anyway, on Malcolm's birthday, I stopped in to 
get um, my corn dog, which I had started getting every day. I stop and get a corn dog and three packs of mustard. The dude knows what I want right away. <laughs> and I'm getting. I'm, I'm saying, give me the corn dog. I want the third one from the right. And then I notice what looked like a tray of maybe little tomato pies, mm. where you might see flecks of red. There were flecks of blue. Mm-hmm. So I asked the greets lady, I said, what is that? And she said, oh, those are blueberry biscuits. Oh. Let me tell you, those things were calling out my name like a siren in the spring. Chico. So, Chico. Oh, 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 my knees. Field buckled. trip. Field <laughs> trip. <laughs> it was so wonderful. I said, I bet those are good. And the greets lady said, Honey child, those are wonderful. You know as well as I do that if someone calls you honey child, her cooking is great. That's great. So I got one of those biscuits, and it was so wonderful. It had like a little faint butter taste and a real bright, fresh blueberry taste. Mm. And it was so flaky and wonderful. It just, I didn't even give a little bit to my dog like I did. <laughs> So now she hates you and your birthday mouth. She's mad at me because you did that to her. So <laughs> she's sitting here right now wondering why I hadn't already gone in the store to get a corn dog. <laughs> right. She likes extra anyway, mustard, I'm sure. Yes. Happy birthday, belatedly, Malcolm. And I recommend to everyone in the great state of Mississippi to go get a blueberry donut at Royal Grocery and listen to, to some funny and Delaney. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, Chico. And happy birthday to you tomorrow. Thank you so much. And we always See appreciate you your listening to our show, calling in and giving us reports. From, from Northeast Mississippi. From North Mississippi. That's right. Well, Malcolm, it, it was a pretty good week out in Edwards, too. Ah, I, I the did, country life. Yeah, Green did, Acres. I did some cooking, um, fried up, fried some brim. It's brim mm. season. They are they're jumping. They are on fish the bank. are jumping. Fish are fish are jumping, and so I cooked fried brim. Um, I also fried oysters. Um, oh. Not I'm not as good as Elvie's, but I don't know now. But the biggest thing that really happened is if you'll remember last week, I was having marital issues over yeah. Lee's barbecue and soul food restaurant. Yes, I remember the discussion about drizzled yes, versus smothered. I, I, I do, but I went through, um, I, I did in fact make my pan-seared chicken with harissa dates and citrus, mm. and and it was, it was delicious, and John liked it, but I kind of went through the seven stages of grief over the fact that John has stated that he likes Lee's barbecue and soul food, Miss Renita's mm. food more than mine. Yeah. And I've moved to acceptance. Oh. I moved, okay. you know, through shock and denial and anger. Yes. I'm, I'm in acceptance now, but what I've accepted is that it gives me time off. Excellent. You've come you know, to a good place, If he's going to have catfish Friday and if he's going to have smothered pork chops, those are just two things I don't have to do. There you go. So that's the report. That's the report. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm proud of you, Carol. I am. Yeah. Well, thank you, Malcolm. Well, it's been a great week here because we're so excited about what's about to happen here. We're going to talk to Scott Peacock. Um, the three of us, yes. Java, Malcolm, and Carol, made a trip to Marion, Alabama to see him. That's right. And he's standing by. He will be joining us. And uh, Java took the tape recorder, so we've got some good ambient sound from our Yes, trip. we do. And Scott has a fresh haircut. I can see him on Skype here. <laughs> And we want to thank the MPB Foundation for uh, the big help that they offered us in participating with this wonderful biscuit experience with the renowned biscuit maker, Mr. Scott Peacock. We had such a good time with a good group of people. I laughed a lot, a lot. Well, the word he uses to to market is experience, and it is really that in all that it encompasses because yes we came about biscuits but we got a very broad lesson about this part of Alabama and how special it is to all of us and then we also learned some incredible techniques uh, about the art 
of making a biscuit and how special that can really be because, again, it sort of goes back to the roots of who many of us are and just the basic things and even the fact that he brought up that some people couldn't afford biscuits, which for my generation, that that seems foreign. But to look back on it and think about that they might have had cornbread, but they couldn't have a biscuit because that was for wealthy people. It's a bit mind-boggling. So it's humbling. So that experience even got much broader. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I believe that was our friend Tim Pierce talking about the experience. Another Boonville boy yeah. <laughs> figured yeah. out. Oh, I, I hate to rub it in. But I know. Yes, it is. But as I mentioned, on February 11th, uh, a group of food enthusiasts, and this was put together by one of our listeners and cooking and coping posters, Thomas Williams from Nashville, got it was a pretty motley group of folks together, uh, Leanne Galt, who also appears on this show regularly and is kind of our lead person on Cooking and Coping, was there. Some fun, you know, food writers and folks. and um, From Birmingham, Memphis, and all points beyond. It was and we were, yeah, we were proud to be uh, among them. And we were Literally, you know, at the hands of our next guest, our next guest, uh, Chef Chef Scott Peacock, and welcome, Chef. Oh, you've got your you've got your mute on. It's okay. There we go. Yeah, you're rolling. Welcome, you Chef. Me? We can, can hear, you hear you now. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello. Good morning, and uh, thank you for having me here. It's great to see the two of you again. Great to see you, Scott. Well, you know, we had truly a wonderful experience, and I hope that you have been able to uh, keep up with a little bit of what our group, which included a couple of food writers, and uh, Tim Pierce wrote a gorgeous blog about the experience. Yeah, he really, really did. Uh, You were, uh, your group set the bar very high for 2023 for Biscuiteers. Uh, people get the biscuit experience they bring, and um, I thought you brought a mighty one. And uh, I, I have thought so much about that day, and I enjoyed that day so much. Uh, I will say, uh, th- listen, there, there aren't bad biscuiteers, period, but 2023 has just been a great year for biscuiteers so far. Just really fascinating and easy and enjoyable and inquisitive because curiosity helps a lot. And an openness, you know, uh, I think an openness is very helpful. So. No, I, I won't forget you. Well, good. Well, good because two of the things that I took home with me were one to make biscuit. You must have an open, an openness, and a generous spirit when you go into the kitchen. And the other thing that you hammered home is that biscuits can feel fear. Yeah, that you've got <laughs> they smell to, it. They, they smell fear. It. Sure. That's right. Yeah, and that, right. yeah that, that you have to you have to relax and don't let your biscuits know. Right. You know, know what your that mental state is. That, you, that you're yeah. nervous. Yeah. You know, be a, be a cook. There's there's really there's really nothing to be nervous about. You know, it's not it's not going to bite you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're going to bite it. Yeah. That's you know, right. there was that moment, Scott. I forgot what you called it. Where when you put the biscuit uh, in the oven, and and that. What did you call the transfer that when it began to smell that? Oh, Oh, I can't can't get that out of my head. I can't remember anything I ever say, but I will (laughs) say that um, that is for me one of the absolute most exciting parts of the biscuit experience, because um, as you sort of indicated already, um, the biscuit experience is really all about noticing. It's about biscuit, but it's about a lot more than biscuit. It's about people and place and history and um, you know, cultural relevance and the biscuit being such an iconic and personal food. But that moment when they go into the oven and it's about a minute or so in once they've entered the 501 degree oven and they, um, the first aromas begin to emerge and it begins primarily buttermilk steam, but it's never ever exactly the same. And then to engage with that and to notice it and not, you know, get on the phone or let your dog in or out or do anything else, but just be really present with that aroma and engage with it. And then notice how it begins to change and intensify and shift in these small ways that are very big ways. And 
um, it's pretty thrilling. I mean, it probably doesn't sound that thrilling to describe, but to me, it's one of the most exciting parts of the whole experience. Very uh, magical. Yeah, it was it, it was magical. I and, remember um, Scott called them little turns. Every time it was a a, a little change, you would say, "Up, oh, they're making a little turn." There's another turn. There's another turn. It's a part of the kaleidoscope of um, yes of, of that's of great job. That's right. It is because it's this little bitty shift, and all of a sudden the whole picture changes. It's a small thing, but the entire picture changes, and you notice it, and it's thrilling because it would also be easy to not notice it if you weren't really giving yourself to being present. So, um, you know, it's, it's an exercise in noticing. Uh, and then that carries on. In my experience, at least, you notice something simple and, and familiar and maybe common like that. Uh, it, it carries on. It's a very rewarding pursuit, I think. Scott, I was lucky enough to come to uh, the restaurant Watershed when you were there a number of years ago. Uh, Leanne Galt, who was in our number group, Leanne, Leanne and I got to come when we were working with Viking Range. We were doing something, and we came specifically for the things that so many people came for and wrote about, the fried chicken, and we were lucky enough to be there and actually get a biscuit and yeah, we felt we felt very lucky because I know you didn't have them yeah, every day, and it was kind of a magical experience when you did. But why now that you are away from the restaurant business, what inspired you to come up with the biscuit experience? Um, well, I moved to Marion, Alabama, um, and in the Black Belt of Alabama, and. Uh, which is, I think, one of the most fascinating places in the world. And I wanted, I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to share it with people, friends, and people I'd not yet met. And I felt that doing that through food was um, probably one of the best ways to go about it. And the biscuit, because it, it is endless, we'll never understand everything about the biscuit. And it's, um, I mean, it's common and ubiquitous as a fast food item now, but if you step back and strip back, it's <laughs> something deeply significant. Um, I have a lot of joy and wonder about and reverence, you know, for biscuit. Uh, and it's very quickly done, and most people like biscuit. So it was a great way to take this very simple food that then you could build an experience around conversation and, and dialogue. And, um, you know, it, one reason Biscuit became so popular besides being so delicious was because it was so quickly made. And so that aspect of it lends itself to an organic experience like the one that we had uh, with your very fine group of Biscuiteers um, earlier this month or last month. Yeah, I, I really like to hear Java talk about about this a little bit because Java related to us. He was very touched by the whole experience, you know, as we all were. But of being in Marion, you want to talk about what yeah, you said to us? Yeah, and I have, um, you know, we're going to play some more um, clips throughout the throughout the conversation. But a lot of people, and uh, it was just about being in the place of um, Marion, Alabama, uh, knowing about, learning about the history of Marion, Alabama, being in the, um, uh, the, the house that we were in, the kitchen that we were in. Um, it just was so intentional, so, um, so intimate, where, you know, you kind of were forced to pay attention and you were rewarded for paying attention. I know sometimes often, like uh, uh, a chef just said about the biscuit being such a, you know, kind of a plain thing, if you want to say that. But if you are intentional with um, your preparation and um, uh, noticing those little shifts that happen throughout the cooking process, you you will be rewarded. And I felt very rewarded to be there with everyone um, on that afternoon. And you spoke spoke to us about. Um, I mean, we know Coretta Scott King was born there, and that's where Andrew Jackson. I mean, uh, <laughs> Andrew Young. Don't Andrew Young, Andrew yeah, Jackson. Ambassador Young. Ambas Ambassador Young, but the yeah, the civil rights history and uh, just just the am amazing architecture of that town. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah we, we felt a lot of ghosts. That's true. That's true. I will say that. Yeah, because that's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask Chef about just picking. We were in the um, reverie. Uh, did I say that correctly? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we were in the reverie in that home. And uh, just speak about doing this at that place instead of, you know, some big commercial kitchen gathering 150 people every time to give a biscuit demonstration and, you know, making it as in- intimate as, as as you have with this biscuit experience. Yes. Well, you know, biscuit is... Uh was uh, something was food of the home, you know, way before it became a fast food or refrigerator or freezer uh, grocery store item. It was something uh, of the home. Uh, I'm very lucky to have a friendship with Hunter Lewis, who's foundation owns Reverie, and um, who, when I proposed the idea of putting, you know, a nice stove in that kitchen, which led to a total renovation of the kitchen and creation of the biscuit uh, kitchen. Um, you know, was very supportive of that idea. So it it's a it's a quiet, calm space. The light is so beautiful. Um, I, and it's also the the intimacy of it because it is a smaller space, so you, it limits the number of people that can be there. I think leads to um, a, a more intimate experience, as you said, as opposed to um, it's not a workshop, it's not a demonstration, it's not a class. It's you know, hopefully there there are things imparted and demonstrated during the process, but it's it's much more personal than that, and it's very much in response and reaction to the, to the people who come to Biscuit. You know, so it takes all sorts of twists and turns, and and there are revelations for me all the time. I'm always learning something new. I never make Biscuit that I don't learn something new about biscuit and also about myself sometimes small sometimes really significant so so the house itself is pre-civil war is that correct that's true it is it's an antebellum uh, mansion that was built in 1858 and it's you know very high style grand greek revival and filled with beautiful collection of uh, um, where the biscuit kitchen is where the biscuit kitchen proper is the was originally a covered breezeway that led to the detached kitchen, uh, which you know adjoins it, and as you were in as well. Um, so it's and it has a wonderful feeling. It, it's the, the house is grand, but the kitchens are uh, calming and you know they embrace you. I think a bit, and I do think the time slows down, and the light the light is beautiful in Marion, Alabama. And most people know Marion because of the Marion Institute, uh, maybe. But, but uh, <laughs> yes. what you present is quite the opposite. And uh, would you tell us a little bit about Marion? It founded in when? Oh, uh, you know, you just stumped me on that, actually. I think it's 1817, but I'm really not sure. Okay. I mean, it, I do believe it predates statehood. That's that's something I need to um, become a little more familiar with. But it absolutely predates statehood. It was Muckles Ridge initially a settlement and then became Marion. And um, a very, very important place in America and in the world and certainly in Alabama um, because of the Black Belt and because of cotton production. Explain uh, you the know, Black was, Belt to our listeners, please. Yeah, the, the Black Belt is, um, the name comes from the soil because there's this alluvial soil. It's an ancient or a you know, primordial seacoast, and it cuts across the state around the middle in a crescent and goes down and terminates in the delta of Mississippi, actually. And it's soil that was quite remarkable for growing cotton and so led to tremendous wealth and beautiful houses like Reverie and a lot of other architecture. And also because of that, it was, <coughs> excuse me, one of the earlier areas that was settled in the state of Alabama. Uh, there were people coming down from, uh, you know, the Tennessee Valley into Huntsville and that North Alabama area. And of course, down in Mobile where the port, um, being a, a very old port city. Uh, but then the rest of the state was not overly settled, at least, you know, by, um, there were native populations, certainly, but the, the, when settlers began to come in and develop plantations and farms, etc., cotton grew very, very well in this alluvial soil. 
For a lot of our listeners, uh, I would remind you that this is the same area where the renowned Auburn uh, University's rural studio is located, yes. not very far. And, and of course, our own Samuel Sambo Monkby was one of the co-founders uh, of, of that fabulous institution. Uh, you know, Scott, uh, you had a great map. You started us out with a little talk and showed us a map and sort of helped us understand where we were. And the more I looked at the map, the more familiar I felt about the place. And it turns out after I left, I went home and I got out another map and I dug around some stuff. I had family in Fruitdale, Mississippi. And I remember as a child going to Fruitdale, just north of Mobile, and spending time there with relatives I've sort of forgotten about. I mean, it was my grandmother's family. Uh, but what a fun, interesting uh, location for, for what you do there. Thank you. It, it really is. And it's also a great location for exploring the Black Belt um, in general. Uh, you know, it's half an hour from Selma. It's 20 minutes from the World Studio, as you mentioned. Greensboro is nearby. Demopolis is uh, only forty miles away, so it it is a great place. I think it, I think it's best. I, I think the biscuit experience is best when it unfolds slowly, and I think Marion and the Black Belt are best when they unfold slowly too. I mean, you can certainly rush through things, um, but to really take your time and notice things and absorb things, it's uh, it's pretty endlessly fascinating. There's 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 a lot to take in. All right, let's hear from a few reflections from the day. I know Java was there with some gear, and he grabbed a few comments here and there. I'd love to hear some of them, Java. Yeah, this is from um, Delia, Delia and Roger, who are a uh, husband and wife couple who joined us on uh, the day for the business experience. And here's what Delia had to say. We were invited to come, and we thought we were just going to see a biscuit-making demonstration by the fabulous Scott Peacock and it turned into what he called a biscuit experience, which really was a biscuit experience. It was being able to listen to someone who's an accomplished chef, be able to walk you through something that all of us are supposed to know how to do, but did it in a beautiful way, and we were able to watch and listen and then eat the fruits of that labor, which were so fabulous and delicious. And there's something about him talking about not only biscuit making, but the history in this small town of Marion, Alabama, that had this soothing, peaceful, serene quality. And it was literally a wonderful experience. I'm excited to be able to now say I'm a biscuiteer. <laughs> As are we. Now, to be a biscuiteer is part of that exclusive, exclusive club. <laughs> it's our club. It's our club. And uh, I know that listeners out there are going, what, what is so special about these biscuits? And they, you, you have very few ingredients. But the first thing I did when I came back was make baking powder. And so, you can you, my week. So you <laughs> made my week. <laughs> I had uh, Penzi's cream of tartar. But, but talk about baking powder and why and how you learned that. Yeah, well, baking powder um, – is something I've always been fascinated by process. And so initially, many, many years ago, I read that you could make your own baking powder and how to do it. It's relatively simple. It's two ingredients. Uh, I initially did it because I wanted to be able to do it. And then over time, I began to really notice a difference in the flavor of baked goods made with homemade baking powder without chemicals and aluminum salts and preservatives and anti-caking agents that um, can really produce that unpleasant burn on the tongue and uh, metallic taste. So I think the biscuit experience and the biscuit itself is, is as much about what's not there as what is there. And uh, baking powder for me is a game changer and something that uh, I hope that everyone would adopt. And also because commercial baking powder, you, you know, expires. And more often than not, we're throwing out partial cans of uh, expired baking powder or not noticing that it expired. And then you're baking something that doesn't rise because you had dead baking powder but uh cream of tartar and baking soda stored separately and those are the two ingredients two parts cream of tartar to one part baking soda they will um keep for at least three years if you store them properly so if you have that in your um pantry you're good to go and you're not at the store wondering if you need to buy another can of baking powder or not well i'm going to break that down for those people who are writing about those parts. So take one quarter cup of 
cream of tartar to two tablespoons of baking soda. Did I get that correct? That's exactly right. And then sift it two or three times because it does lump up and the sifting also blends it. Uh, And commercial baking powder blend, I mean, lumps up also and it has a lot of stuff to keep it from doing that. So it's, it's, it's just good kitchen practice to have a dry sieve somewhere that you quickly sift dry things in all the time. Um, and you, and you, you use just a fine mesh colander. Oh, I mean, yeah. you don't have to get out an old crank no. sifter. You just you can. If it gives you pleasure to do that. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's very simple and very quick. Small hand sieve and just, you know, shake it back and forth over a piece of parchment paper. And something else I will say about that, too, is, you know, if you're good at math, which I'm not, but someone good at math, they could actually just measure the ingredients directly into their bowl. I mean, if you if you had a recipe that called for a tablespoon, for example, of baking powder, you could just add two teaspoons of cream of tartar and one teaspoon of baking soda, which would, you know, constitutes your one tablespoon of baking powder. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Talk to us about flour. Yeah, you had some yeah, the good flour, stuff. <laughs> thank you. The flour, the flour really is the centerpiece of the biscuit that I make now, and has informed the biscuit that I make now uh, dramatically. Uh, and I use two flours that are two antique wheat flours uh, grown and and milled by Anson Mills out of Columbia, South Carolina, and the great Glenn Roberts, who is uh, an extraordinary human being, uh, who's made to to southern foodways cannot be overstated and um, the the flowers that I use it is a pastry flour milled from red may wheat and a cake flour that is milled from white lamas wheat and those are two of the original biscuit wheats that came into Virginia and South Carolina in the you know very early 1700s some might argue even a little earlier and they are the soft winter wheats from Europe that grew and thrived in the southern uh, climate. And from those wheats, you know, is where a lot of our baking traditions emerged uh, because we didn't have those hard winter wheats that produce crusty, rustic sourdough loaves. We had these tender, soft flours. And these uh, wheats, I grew those wheats for a number of years. I never got to the point that um, I was able to produce enough to actually mill into biscuit myself. Uh, but the flavors of them are unique and beautiful and lost in general. I mean, they're available now, but most people never had them. And most most people, if we're using, you know, grocery store flour, have never tasted flour that actually spoke of wheat. <laughs> so that's kind of exciting, too, that is present very much in the raw dough. And as it bakes, I mean, you begin to smell wheat aromas and uh, and certainly the flavors that come through. And that flour is very, very special because it's not sitting around waiting for you to buy it. When you order from Anson Mills, you place an order and they mill it a few days later and it's milled in the morning and overnighted to you, um, you know, that afternoon. And it's also, it's milled in an oxygen-free environment. It's all very uh, pre-American Revolutionary War technology. Uh, in terms of being water milled and stone power, uh, stone stone milled, water powered, and silted through silt baffles, but it's done in an oxygen free environment. So you get this beautiful flour that's not begin to, begun to oxidize yet, and has a lot of ephemeral flavors and volatile oils that aren't present and that have an awful lot to um, give and delight. So wonderful! You also gave those of us who don't have access or immediate access to those wheat, you gave us broad permission to use um, store-bought flowers. Absolutely. But you you said unbleached? Yes, I'm, uh, I mean, there is is an organic brand, national brand of unbleached all-purpose flour that I think is a very, very good biscuit flour that is not traditionally considered to be a biscuit flour. Uh, But the organic part is important to me because, well, it's important to me. And I think this slightly stronger flour uh, makes a very delicious biscuit that's still tender and still very light, uh, but has structure to it and crust. The crust is really, really important to me. Let's hear a little bit more of uh, Java's recordings of you, Scott, in the kitchen actually making biscuit. Um, like, I try to avoid the flakes and layers uh, in the language just because it has such a 
connotation of Pillsbury, you know, or the Instagram biscuit, you know, which I don't begrudge that. Listen, I don't begrudge Pillsbury. Pillsbury, I mean, really um, fueled my sense of wonder about biscuit as a kid. And um, if someone had taught me how to make a laminated biscuit, then this would we'd be having a, probably a very different experience. But what I have come to embrace in my journey is um, I'm not making the one true biscuit. There's no such thing. I don't know if Scott is crying or laughing um, uh, while, no, that, just, you know, while that it's, clip it's, was playing. Uh, but I think it, I mean, it who was... Doesn't, a, who doesn't love to hear their voice? <laughs> it was a perfect clip to me because we it was throughout the discussion was a little talk about Pillsbury and how they kind of became, you know, a lot of people, especially my generation, um, introduced to biscuits, made biscuits a little bit more universal. You just go pick them up out of the refrigerator. But also to think about it, it was a time when that was not even available. You know, you had it to make... It was a wonder. Yeah, when it, when it first when happened. The, when the refrigerated cans that... Y'all grew up in a family of six children. We called them womp biscuits. She <laughs> womped the, the container on the kitchen counter you know, for it to open. And so we would fight over who got who to could, womp, who got who got the got, womp and you had a similar experience, Scott, didn't you? Oh, my God, completely. I mean, my, I didn't grow up in a biscuit-making household. Well, I, my mother would make biscuits, and my father would ridicule them. And he was the son of sharecroppers, and his mother, Grandma Peacock, uh, he, he thought highly of her biscuits and not so highly of my mother's. And, um, you know, I learned about the Himalayan mountains when I was six years old because my father compared the tops of my mother's biscuits to the Himalayan mountains, <laughs> uh, which I think was a compliment. And from then on, it was Pillsbury at our house. And it was the early days of, you know, that, that biscuit. So it was a, it was still a very civilized size. It wasn't too tall. It wasn't too big around. There was really just one kind. And, uh, and the layers fascinated me. I had no idea how that was done. And Is that what you call laminated? Yeah. Yes, those layers, the, that building up of those layers of fat and dough, um, which has become uh, a, a huge focus for a lot of people for biscuit. And it was certainly my fascination. And I found Grandma Peacock's biscuits, which you could not peel apart into, you know, 100 layers, uh, di- uh, disappointing, you know. I, I'm, I'm, um, that's what I thought. And that was my... Um, but that was my goal. I'm very happy that my experience has been such that over the years I've evolved. And I will say that growing wheat and these antique wheat flowers has has informed my biscuit tremendously, as has making it with and for people uh, in these biscuit experiences. But I, I'm very proud to be part of the tradition. Uh, one reason, and I think I said this already, but the biscuit became as popular as it did besides being delicious was because it could be made so quickly. So for a very busy person who had a lot of children to feed and um, you could make a big pan of biscuits very quickly or on short notice, if you had flour and the other ingredients, of course. And um, that's the tradition that I, I feel really uh, humbled to try to be a part of. I'm, I'm mindful of that when I'm making biscuit, um, you know, as opposed to the three hour biscuit or the you know 23 step biscuit. And a homemade biscuit, as you pointed out to us, can never be replicated. It is an original never. and ethereal thing. So d- get over it if you think you're going to produce the exact same biscuit every time you you work on it. Oh, it's it's an it's an exercise in humility for sure. You know, it's a practice. And um, yes, I mean, especially you're making a biscuit, you're working the fat with your fingers into the flour. Uh, you will never be able to reproduce that exactly. You take the same intention, the same approach, and the same care, but there are variables that can never be exactly reproduced. And to me, to be mindful of that is even meaningful. Um, you use butter as the fat in your biscuit. No, no Crisco, no lard, but butter. Talk to us a little bit about, about butter and what's important to look for when we're making our biscuits. I will, um, you know, I, for a number of years, uh, for example, at Watershed and for a number of years, I was, I was very much a lard biscuit person, 
Uh, I still like lard biscuit very much. For the biscuit experience, I made the choice to use butter because I can find better quality butter at a grocery store that I would be comfortable using. And to find a quality of leaf lard that I would want to use is, is much more challenging. And I do not want the people to leave the biscuit experience being overwhelmed by the ingredients. I want you to be able to go to the stop at the store on your way home and make biscuit that evening. Um, and the butter, there's nothing second rate about a butter biscuit. And the butter, um, I think with the, this, these antique flowers that I use really, really complements that and supports that flavor very much. Um, so I do use, there are two or three. I mean, are you, are you want me to speak brands? I'm, no, but well salted, unsalted. Yeah, um, unsalted. I use unsalted butter and I use, um, you know, high fat, low moisture butters, which you know, there, there are there are very good American brands of that. And then for buttering the biscuit once they're out of the oven, uh, I use uh, lightly salted butter, which I think is, is a good idea. And 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 talk a little bit about leaf lard. Yeah, leaf lard is a very special thing and not something that easy to come by, although it's easier to come by now than it used to be. Uh, there's a lot of fat on a pig, and it is not all created equal. And, <laughs> um, you can write that down. Needle, we can needlepoint that. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> I wish you would. The leaf lard comes from inside the pig. And it covers the kidneys. And if, if you see it, you know, harvest it, it, uh, it looks a bit like a, uh, like a standard uh, envelope for a letter back when we still had letters and things. It's just this rectangular uh, piece of fat that uh, is called leaf lard because you can peel it in layers, which, of course, when I first learned about it, I thought that's how they made the Pillsbury biscuit. And it is not. <laughs> um, so the um, you it is the purest and the highest quality of all the fat on the animal and it's the firmest so at when it's chilled it's extraordinarily firm i mean you it's like like very very cold butter you can't hardly put a dent into it and then you work that into the fat and because i mean into the flour and because it has such a high melting point and because it's of such a, a, a dense quality it, it creates a very melting it is that melt in your mouth uh, aspect of the baked goods that you get but there's not that much of it it's hard to find and um it's a special thing to have if you can get it but it's you you, you can't go to the grocery store and get it and i can go to the grocery store and get butter that i'm happy with and feel very good about and you told us <clears throat> throughout this experience and particularly uh, toward the end that you're not trying to make the one true biscuit you're 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 just making biscuit <laughs> Yes, I mean it's it's um, there's no such thing as a one true biscuit. First of all, and it is the it is the fact that it's so personal, and individual, and you know has evolved over time and place, and you know a couple hundred years or so um, that it expresses the the maker. It expresses the taste of the maker, the touch of the maker. Um, you know, it, it is an ex it is a very expressive food, and people should make the biscuit that makes them happy you know but my my goal is not that people leave marion alabama in the biscuit kitchen going forth you know trying to replicate what i did um it's constantly evolving and people have everyone has their biscuit within so my hope is that i'm able to help people find that a little bit i really love the leavings uh, i'd never heard them call that talk a briefly if you would about the leavings well the leavings are the speaking briefly is a challenge for me but it's uh, <laughs> the, the leavings uh are a joy uh the leavings are the little scraps you know left after cutting out the biscuit and you can re-roll there's absolutely nothing wrong with re-rolling uh but the leavings are, are a huge gift because they cook so irregularly uh, on the pan, so they you get all these different tastes and textures and degrees of doneness, which I think is very useful. A, it's delightful, and it gives you a lot more range and diversity in the experience itself. Plus, the biscuits proper need a little time to finish becoming once they're out of the oven, and the leavings are available to eat much sooner. Um, and I, I think they're they're a joy, an, an absolute joy, and they help guide you in discovering your own biscuit because you taste this and you think, 
I love this, I hate this, I want to take my biscuit in this direction, or I don't want my biscuit to go anywhere near this direction. The leavings were one of our favorite things collectively. It really was. And um, I have another clip from, uh, I guess, our, what would we call Thomas about this trip? Was he the spear, the spear <laughs> he was He was our, our leader, and he led, I'm going to name them, Robert, Delia, Tim, Jennifer, Cindy, Leanne, Malcolm, Java, and Carol. He was our leader. He got us there. And here's Thomas talking about his favorite part of the day. Favorite part about today was that it completely and totally exceeded my expectation for what the day was going to be. Um, I ate a lot of biscuits. That was a <laughs> highlight of my day. Um, but the historical side of it, and it's always great to be in a room with someone who is sharing their true passion with you. And that's what Chef Peacock did today. It is clear that he's passionate about this area of Alabama, about the history of this area of Alabama, and about biscuits and food in general, but particularly about biscuits. Wow. And that, I think oh, that's, that's a, a great way to sum it up. Man, that was that was great. <laughs> I agree. I Honestly, I'm, um, I find it very difficult to talk about the biscuit experience because it's so personal and, and goes in so many ways. So I'm always very grateful for articulate biscuiteers because um, you do a much better job than I ever could. Well, Scott, we deeply appreciate you joining us this morning. we got to wrap. We hope to see you again soon. Keep on I doing hope what so you do. Too. And, and if people are interested, they should sign up soon because we are almost full for 2023. And yeah, just go, yeah go online yeah. and put Biscuit Experience in your browser and you will find the Biscuit Experience. Deep South Dining and is... Mention pr- that, you, that you sent them. I'm sorry. Okay. That's okay. We'll do no it. problem. All right. We are a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from folks like yourself. We thank the MPB Foundation for their support and we'll see you next Monday. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.